I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Do bear with me a moment, I'm just going to rearrange the furniture. I'm a bit scared of this wire, but we'll see what happens. This is not part of the talk, this is just me not being very good at arranging things. And there we go. Round of applause appreciated. Um, Oh, and it's it's almost worse when you do. Um, Well, good evening, everyone. Um, My name is Daniel. I'm a member of the church family here, and it is really great to be here and to be able to um, share this passage with you. So in this passage, where we're looking, continuing our series in Philippians, there's a big focus on character here. Um, We see three people in this passage. We see Timothy, we see Epaphroditus, and indirectly we get an insight into Paul as well. And I think all three of them give us some insight into good Christian character and what it looks like to develop that. What we're gonna do is we're gonna have a talk of two halves, which is very exciting. And put up four fingers there, which is two, but different. Um, I'm a mathematician, I can say these kind of things. Um, So the first half, we're gonna be looking at these three characters and we're gonna be delving a little bit into the kind of characteristics that they um, exhibit. And in the second half, we're gonna think a little bit about how we can learn from them, the kind of things that we can do to learn from good, godly people and how we can adopt that into our own lives. So that's where we're going to go, but let's pray before we start. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for bringing it to us. We thank you for speaking to us through it. And I pray now that as I speak and as we listen, would you speak through me? Would it be your words and not mine that are said? And would you speak to each one of us and help us to hear what it is that you have to say to us? Amen. So the first person that's covered in this passage is Timothy. Um, Timothy is covered in the first half of the passage and we learn a little bit about him from from this passage. We already know that um, Timothy has been serving alongside Paul for a number of years. Um, It says that Timothy has proved himself in verse 22 as a son with his father. So we know that Timothy is experienced. Timothy has worked alongside Paul. He has learned from him. He may well be an accomplished speaker. He may be an accomplished pastor. There are all sorts of things that Paul could commend about Timothy. 
But what is it that, that Paul actually chooses to commend about Timothy? In verse 20, we see he says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Paul's primary um, affirmation of Timothy and of who he is is not of his gifts and his talents, no doubt that they were there, but primarily about his heart and about his character. Timothy is someone who cares deeply about other people, and that is the thing that primarily Paul wants Philippians to know about him. There's a contrast that he raises raises here as well in verse 21 between Timothy and ordinary cultural behavior. In verse 21 he says, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, which suggests in particular that Timothy's attitude of caring for other people, primarily for having genuine concern for others' welfare, is indeed something that demonstrates part of the heart of Christ rather than the heart of the culture as a whole. The second person that we see in this passage is Epaphroditus, which is a slightly less common name uh, than Timothy. I think we may have a Timothy or two potentially in the room. We probably don't have any Epaphroditus, whatever the plural of Epaphroditus is. But Epaphroditus is also a pretty great guy by the looks of things. Um, We don't actually know very much about him. He's only mentioned in Philippians, and then there he's only mentioned twice. So this passage is pretty much all we have to know about Epaphroditus. But we know without specifics that he was risking his life for the work of Christ. We know that he fell ill in the course of doing what he had been called to do, and ultimately he very nearly died. Some background for this. Paul, when he's writing this letter, is in prison at the time, um, probably in Rome, which um, the last time I did geography, I mucked it up completely. So this time, the level of geography I'm going to do is that I'm fairly confident that Rome is not Philippi because they are different cities. So the Philippian church is in Philippi and Paul is in Rome, which are different places. Uh, and the Philippian church wants to support, um, wants to support Paul. Um, and obviously being in a different place, they can't. So what they do is they take a collection, they take um, a, some gifts, financial support, and they give it to Epaphroditus who then travels across whichever part of the world he has to cross to get from Philippi to Rome. I'm not going to attempt that. Probably some land, maybe some ocean, that kind of thing. Um, and takes it to the Philippian church, to, to, to Rome, sorry, from the Philippian church. Um, but we see that on, in the process of doing that, he is risking his life. Um, he catches this illness, he almost dies. Um, but that's what he does. He's willing to do whatever he needs to do in order to serve the gospel and to serve Paul. And now that he's there, now that he's um, recovered, Paul wants to send him back, wants to send him back to Philippi with this letter, this letter to the Philippians. And it's interesting the reason, again, why Epaphroditus is being sent back. He's not concerned about his own health, but the thing that he is concerned about is the fact that the Philippian church has heard that he's unwell. Verse 26, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. He's not concerned about himself, he's concerned about the fact that his community, the people that he has been growing in faith with, might have heard from a messenger traveling the other way that he was ill and then wouldn't have heard anything since. And he wants them to know that he's okay. We get a sense of the passion of Epaphroditus in serving God in whatever he's being called to do. 
And the third person that we see to finish this first half of the talk is Paul implicitly throughout this passage. And even just without him being mentioned explicitly, we can get some real insights into his character and into who he is. The first thing we see is that he's self-sacrificial in the way that he serves. Paul is in prison at the moment, and he probably wouldn't have had that many friends and supporters around him. Timothy would have been someone who'd been traveling with him for a number of years. Epaphroditus, we read in this passage, was sent to provide him comfort and to provide him um, support. And yet he's willing to send both of them away for the sake of the gospel. He's willing to send Epaphroditus back now, and he's hoping to send Timothy away soon. These, these are people who would have been providing him real support and real comfort. And yet his focus is primarily on the progress of the gospel and doing whatever needs to be done in order for that to happen. We see this complete focus on the gospel, on the continuation of God's kingdom, and on God in general throughout this passage. If you just have a quick skim through the passage and see how many times he references Jesus or Christ or God, it's all across the passage. Verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Verse 24, he says, I'm confident in the Lord. Verse 27, but God had mercy on him. Verse 29, he invites the Philippians to welcome Epaphroditus in the Lord. And in verse 30, he says he almost died for the work of Christ. In many of these cases, the sentence would have made just as much sense without it. He could have just said, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. He could have said that um, Epaphroditus just almost died just to welcome him with great joy. But the fact that his focus and his attention is on Christ throughout permeates the language that he uses and the way that he talks about everything that he says. And I think this is reflected, his particular focus on the gospel is reflected particularly in arguably what is one of the most understated verses in the whole Bible, which is verse 23, where he says, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Now that's quite an ambiguous term. You might think he was, you know, trying to pick out a holiday or that kind of thing. The, uh, the, the thing that he's referring to there is his trial and potential execution. And this is the extent to which he mentions it in this passage. It's a thing, we'll see what happens, and then I'll send Timothy afterwards. He's not phased by what's facing him. We've seen already earlier in Philippians that he's weighing up whether it's better for him to live or to die, and he concludes that it's better for him to live purely for the sake of the gospel. And I don't think Paul's downplaying it here. I think genuinely his focus is so much on what it means to follow Christ, what it means to spread God's kingdom, that genuinely whether he lives or dies doesn't concern him. He's got this wholehearted focus on the gospel and on what it means to serve. And so we see these three people throughout this passage. We see Timothy and his genuine concern. We see Epaphroditus and his willingness to serve and Paul in his wholehearted service to the gospel. So in the second half, how should we respond when we hear about these kind of people? I think for some of us, potentially many of us, the application will be potentially obvious. We'll, we'll know how to hear about these people and how to use that in our own lives. But I know certainly for me, and I suspect I'm not gonna be the only one, that sometimes when we hear passages like this, when we read about people who are doing wonderful things for God, it makes us feel really great about them and then really, really bad about ourselves. I think it's very easy to hear about people who are doing wonderful things and to compare ourselves to them, to feel like we're not as good as them, we're not as good Christians as they are. 
I know the first time I read this passage, I was looking at Timothy and his care and thinking that I don't show that level of care that Timothy does. Epaphroditus' willingness to serve, I'm not sure that I've got that level of willingness. Paul's wholehearted devotion to the gospel, maybe that's not quite how I live my life as much as I would like to. And I think it's very easy to take what should be a really positive thing and turn it into something negative, turn it into something that makes us feel bad about ourselves and can make us less effective in the way that we serve God. And so for the second half, I want to talk particularly to people who identify with that to a certain extent and hopefully try and give you three things that I think might really help when looking at people with good godly characteristics to help us to use it in a healthy way, in a way that helps us to grow and helps God's kingdom to grow. And the first thing I think that it's worth noting is that we are all different. God has blessed Timothy, Epaphroditus, Paul with gifts and talents and put him in a situation. God has also blessed you and blessed me with gifts and talents and put us in situations. But he's made us different. He's not made another Paul or another Timothy or another Epaphroditus, even if that is your name. Um, Hello to all the Epaphroditus listening. Um, But God isn't just creating carbon copies of people that have come before. He's created us specifically. He's created you specifically. And he's created you for specific things. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has given each one of us gifts and callings and things to be doing. And that calling will be different for different ones of us. Some of us may be called to some of these grand missions. We may be called to ordained ministry, to missionary overseas, to charity work, to working in a Christian organization, whatever it may be. And for others of us, we'll be called to serve God in the ordinary, everyday scenarios in which we find ourselves. We see this slightly in this passage. In verse 29, when Paul is talking about Epaphroditus, he says to the Philippians, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. And we read that and we think, great, we should be honoring people like Epaphroditus who are willing to risk their lives. And that's right, and we should. But right at the start of this letter, in chapter one and verse three, Paul commends another group of people. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that's his letter to the Philippian church, to the people who, although Epaphroditus was a member, are not all Epaphroditus. Some of them were people who would have been collecting the gifts. Some of them would have been distributing it. Some of them would have just been serving God in their ordinary lives in whatever that may have looked like. And Paul delights in them just as much as he delights in Epaphroditus. And God is the same. God delights in them just as much. And so sometimes we may find ourselves tempted to compare what we're doing to the gifts and the callings of others. And I think that could be quite an unhelpful road to go down. The best calling that we can answer in our lives is the calling that God has given to each one of us. And that's a matter for discernment for us, for talking it over with wise friends if we're not sure. But that won't be the same as what other people are being called to do. Your calling is going to be different to mine. Your calling will be different to the person sitting next to you. And finding what that is and honoring God in serving that will be really good. The second thing that I think is really relevant is to remember that we are united. We live in a society that's very 
individualistic and very competitive. This is reflected across our lives from a very early age. The education system gives us grades and basically forces us to sort of rank ourselves against other people. When it comes into jobs and into careers, we'll find ourselves competing against other people. Our entertainment, a lot of TV shows, a lot of reality shows are about competition. All of our sports are about competition. And we can find that leaking into the way that we do our personal lives as well. We can find ourselves competing with our neighbors or our friends on social media or in person to try and have the best life, whatever that may look like. And that cultural view can end up leaking into the way that we view our relationship with God and our walk with God. Because I think it's easy sometimes to feel like our relationship with God is somewhat of a competition, that God is gonna love me more or less uh, based on how much he loves someone else over there. If someone's doing great things, that will mean he loves them more and loves me less. And when you spell it out like that, it seems quite patently absurd. But it's one of these things that is very easy to internalize and very easy to just be thinking without even really thinking about it. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing that you can do to make God love you less. And this passage tells us a little bit about how we should be thinking about this instead. When Paul again talks about Epaphroditus in verse 25. He says, it's necessary to send back Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And in all of these three areas, in the area of family, in the area of work, and in the area of a military um, organization, in all of those situations, we have a very different concept to the one of competing with one another. With the people that we're in, in those scenarios, we're working together for a communal goal. In all of those situations, one person doing really well is good for the organization as a whole, for what the aims of the group is. And as Christians, our aim is to further God's kingdom. Our aim is to grow God's kingdom through what we do and through our interactions with other people. And so in those situations, when someone is doing really well, when someone's really great at praying, when someone's really served in a wonderful way, when someone's had a great evangelistic mission, that serves to advance the kingdom of God. And that's what we're all striving to do. And so their victory is a victory for us and a victory for God. One person doing great things for God should rightly cause us to celebrate because we are all working together for a common goal. And I think that can help when we're looking at other people as well to take it away from a focus on ourselves and towards a focus on what they are doing for God and how they're serving him. And third and final thing that I want to mention is that we're all growing. None of us are perfect people. Certainly the people in this passage aren't perfect. Um, we know very little about Epaphroditus, so it's very hard to confirm that he wasn't perfect. But I believe he's human. It doesn't specifically say it. But it's very likely that he was human, and therefore very likely that he was flawed. Um, we know a little bit more about Timothy. And even in the little that we know, we know from some of Paul's other letters that Timothy was quite timid. He was quite shy and reserved, and not necessarily as bold as we might expect from a great hero of the faith. Paul himself, the very Paul who's written roughly half of the New Testament, is described in 2 Corinthians as not being a very good public speaker, and in 1 Corinthians as having an unimpressive physical presence. And if Paul, Paul can be not a good public speaker, if Paul can have an unimpressive physical presence, then I think all of us are perfectly entitled to maybe not feel like we need to be perfect either. Primarily, our identity is as Christians. The word Christian comes from the Greek Christianos, or little Christs. We are Christians, we're not Paulians or Timotheans or Epaphrodites.
titans, um, whatever they are. But we're not those. We're not called to imitate those people. Occasionally in the Bible, um, for instance, later on in Philippians, Paul does encourage us to imitate him, but it's only insofar as he himself resembles Christ. And that's a subtle distinction that it's very easy to get wrong if we start trying to emulate other people in everything that we do, rather than allowing our focus on them to go through them and towards Christ. And that's what our journey should be. It shouldn't be to try and resemble other people. We're all at different points in our journey. We've all come to faith at different times. We've come from different backgrounds. We have different challenges that we face. But each one of us is striving ultimately for the same thing, and that is for us to resemble Christ more and more. So I think when we look at other people, rather than feeling condemned at how well they're doing, we should take that as an opportunity to be encouraged ourselves, to try and use this as an opportunity for us to grow more Christ-like in the way that we live, to try and be more like Christ today than we were yesterday, and more like Christ tomorrow than we were today. This is something that um, came to me a little bit um, last week um, at the APCM. One of the things that happened at the APCM is that we were honoring Lewis, who is a wonderful godly member of this congregation and has been a very prayerful man for many decades. And my gut reaction when I was hearing Jonathan talking about how prayerful Lewis was, was naturally, because that's kind of the way that I'm built, was to turn that on myself and to think that, oh, I'm not as prayerful as Lewis and start feeling bad about myself. But I'd been preparing this talk and this was floating around in my head. And I found that really helped because instead of feeling bad about myself, I was very thankful that St. Paul's has people like Lewis who are very prayerful. I look out at all the people that are in this room and I'm sure I would look out at people on the internet if that was a thing. And I would see people with all sorts of different talents and abilities and gifts and people who build up a wonderful community here that allow us to serve as the community of Christ. And that's an opportunity for me to be very thankful for all the gifts that we've got. And also when I see people who are passionate about certain things, when I see people who are gifted in certain ways, who have built certain really good godly characteristics, that's a great opportunity for me to learn what it is to demonstrate those characteristics more and to seek to use their example to try and be a little bit more Christ-like today than I was yesterday. And so I hope in telling you about Timothy and his care, about Epaphroditus and his willingness to serve, about Paul uh, and his passion for the gospel, that you will be able to go away from this place feeling encouraged rather than condemned and knowing how to use the encouragement that we see from people around us. And so there's three things I'd like us to do um, as we come to a time of prayer and reflection in a minute on this. I'm going to talk us through what those three things are and then we'll take a minute to do each of them. First thing that I'd like us to do is to celebrate the way that God is working in other people. We will all know people who God is working through, who God is doing great things through, who God has built great character in. And it would be great if we could take some time to reflect on them, to ask God to reveal some people that we know to us and to thank God for them. And maybe if there are specific people that come to mind that you're in contact with, either in person or that are a message away, let them know the characteristics that they're developing that you, really, that you see in them, that you think really reflect God and the character of Christ. It'd be a great encouragement to them, I'm sure. Second thing that I want us to do is celebrate the way that God is working in you. For some of us, that will be much harder than it is to recognize the way that God is working in other people. But for all of us who call ourselves Christians, God has chosen each one of us. God has called each one of us 
And God is using and growing each one of us. And in that time, it would be a good opportunity to ask him to show you the things that he's really pleased about, the things that he loves about you and the ways in which he's already growing you to be more Christ-like. And the third thing would be to ask God to guide you, to ask the Spirit to work within you, to help you to grow to be more Christ-like today than you were yesterday and more Christ-like tomorrow than you were today, to recognize how far you've come and to recognize where God is trying to lead you next. And that may be through the example of people that we've looked at, people who God has reminded you on. He may have something else that he wants to speak to you. But ask him to see where he wants to lead you next. So we're going to move into a time of prayer now. Um, If you'd like to stand, if you'd find that helpful, then please do. If you'd prefer to stay sitting where you are, then do feel free to do that as well. But let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the myriads of people who've come before us, who have lived good, godly lives. We thank you for the way in which you have grown your church through their witness and through their work. We pray now that as we seek to continue your journey, we seek to continue the things and the work that you are doing within us. Would you help us to resemble Christ more in the way that we live and in the way that we work? Would you help us to be aware of the people around us in whom you are working? Would you bring particular people to mind now, particular characteristics? And in this moment of silence, um, maybe you'd like to thank God for them. Father, we thank you for the way that you are working in each one of us individually. We thank you that you have put your spirit in each one of us and that you are growing each one of us to be more and more Christ-like. Would you show us the character that you are growing in us, the gifts and talents that you've given us, the people that you are making us to be? Would you help us to recognize the spirit at work in us? Would you put your finger on particular things that you are doing in each one of our lives and help us to see you at work? finally, Lord, we pray that in this final moment of quiet, would you speak to each one of us about the ways in which you are working in us, the things in which you want us to work on next, the areas in which you want to move more, places where we need to let you in more, and the ways in which you want to work through us today to make us more Christ-like.
Father, would you help each one of us to know our place in your church, to know our role in the body of Christ? Would you help each one of us to serve joyfully as we do so? Would you help each one of us to grow daily in knowledge and love of you and grow closer to you as we do so?